Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Leadership Now with me, Dan Pontifract. Today, oh my gosh, how thrilled am I in the house today, Vala Afshar. Vala, who is an author, U.S. patent-holding inventor. He's a weekly columnist for ZDNet. What we say in Canada is ZDNet. Weekly podcaster, keynote speaker, and a social media contributor of extraordinary proportions. He is also, of course, chief digital evangelist at Salesforce. Vala has nearly a million followers on Twitter. He generates billions of impressions per year. His LinkedIn account is through the roof awesome as well. Please follow him. He's written over 250 articles since 2020. His weekly show, which started in 2016 and is projected to have, get this, over 2 million viewers this year. He's interviewed over 1,000 senior executives, company founders, best-selling authors, venture capitalists on what's called Disrupt TV, including me. So I'm paying it forward and back to Vala. Prior to joining Salesforce in 2015, Vala served as the chief marketing officer and chief customer officer in the tech sector at companies like Enteris' Networks and Extreme Networks. He's currently working on, hint, hint, a new book. It's called Boundless, I think, and will be published in October of 2023. Vala, it is so good to see you. So good for you to be here. Let me clear something up right away uh, for our viewers and listeners and those that are reading this on Forbes. I think of you as the hero of humanity, the content curator of compassion. I could go on, Bala. Uh, your, your social media, online media presence by far is one to me that encourages, if not pushes people to think about others, to be kind, to be caring, if you will, to be compassionate, to be empathic. And so I guess I wanted to first start off by saying, why is it so important to you to consistently and publicly post pushing people towards humanity with your thought leadership in whether it's Twitter, LinkedIn, or otherwise? Uh, well, first of all, thank you so much for the incredible intro. I, I wish my parents were here to hear you, Dan. Uh, that was awesome. Um, really, really appreciate it. And uh, and you were a fantastic guest. I think it was book three when we spoke on Disrupt and you're going to launch book five uh, this year. So look forward to having you back so we can learn from you. Uh, you always expand my mind and my co-host Ray and the folks that uh, listen to our podcast. Um, that's it, that's, that's, um, that's a deep question. Um, I'm an immigrant. Um, I think when you leave your birth country, whether it's by choice or or um, or you're forced to leave, and uh, it was the latter uh, for my family and I, mm -hmm. it's it's the most disruptive thing that can happen. I think it's certainly the most disruptive thing that's happened in my life. Uh, I was born in Iran, and there was a revolution, and we had to abruptly leave because it wasn't a safe place. It was civil unrest plus a war with an adjacent country. Mm -hmm. And uh, and we never told family or friends. Um, it was a very uh, intense time uh, and period, period in my family's uh, you know life. Um, so like a light switch, um, moved to Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, I don't speak the language. I don't play the sports. I don't wear the same clothes. Uh, just food's different. Everything was immediately different. My father couldn't join us uh, for four years. 
So in my early teens, I, I was just my mom, my sister, and I, and uh, we, we were welcomed with open arms. Um, I didn't speak the language, so I didn't quite understand tone and sentiment and what was said about me for, for many, many months, years. Uh, but generally speaking, it was an uh, incredibly safe and welcoming place. Um, and then when my father did join us, uh, these are my parents now in their mid-40s, mm -hmm. abruptly moving to a new country. They were never, never able to find work that was equal to the jobs they had in Iran. My father was uh, worked at Petrochemical Oil Company. He was a senior executive leading thousands of uh, employees. When he joined us in Boston, he was third shift supervisor, wow. uh, security. Uh, two master's degrees, fluent in English, but couldn't find work, which is understandable. I mean, this is, you know, you're talking in the 1980s and, and you know, Iran was, uh, you know, uh, didn't have a global favorable view in terms of how society had progressed post-revolution. So in any event, uh, when I'm leaving to go to school and see my dad coming from work, always with a smile, um, you know, uh, an hourly wage that was probably a, t a hundredth of his income before the revolution, but never complained, no sense of entitlement, uh, chose to be happy, chose to be grateful, chose to uh, chose to shield us, uh, his children, uh, from what was probably profoundly sad um, turn of event in, in terms of a, in a successful executive having to rebuild his life at ground zero. Yeah. So that stayed with me. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, both worked seven days a week, two jobs, for 20 plus years. I don't really remember going on vacation uh, as a family. Um, this is not a sad story. This is a story of many immigrants, by the way. Yeah. But but uh, that that has an impact on you. Uh, and then when you when you uh, and when you learn the the work ethics and the humility and again gratitude, gratitude, gratitude. Uh, um, you apply that in your life. Uh, so I ended up going to state school. I couldn't afford to go to any, uh, to, to universities, private universities. I worked three jobs, undergrad, grad. So six plus years work in school. Fortunate enough to, you know, do well. Not not talent, just hard work. Hard work. I started electrical engineering, undergraduate and graduate school, and hard work. I mean, nothing was easy. Nothing was easy. Um, uh, but, you know, you go through the grind and again, you're inspired because you go home and you see your folks and, you know, they're your heroes. So you just can't, uh, it's impossible not to adopt their, their uh, mindset of you have to fight for your happiness. Sometimes you just have to fight for your happiness. And, uh, and, and I did that, ended up finding a great company, working for great people. And, uh, you know, I, I'm an introvert. I don't like labeling things. Labels are for jars, not for people. But but but, but I, you and I are at a dinner event. I'm the one in the corner just observing folks. <laughs> Fingers crossed that somebody will approach me and have a conversation. So it's just not in my DNA to be... Um, people assume that because I'm so active on social media. But social, you know, it's a safe place to reflect and write. Uh, so um, I can be interesting if I 
put effort into it. <laughs> it, it doesn't come naturally. Uh, so in any event, uh, uh, so I started my career as a soft, software developer. So as an introvert, sitting in a cubicle, writing code, doing that for many, many years, uh, you know, I just didn't appreciate the importance of connection. Uh, I didn't realize networking is about giving. Mm -hmm. uh, I just didn't understand that for many of My first tweet, I was 41 years old. My first blog, I was 42 years old. Uh, the first book was 44 years old. You know, all in the 40s. Patent that you mentioned was in the 40s. Podcast in the 40s. So the first, uh, I guess, 20 some odd years of my career post-graduate school, I had a immigrant silo mentality. Uh -huh. um, uh, silo by definition, capture resources, knowledge, headcount, budget, fancy title, <laughs> salary, just capture resources. This is my parents, you know, follow, make sure you get a good school. It was not, a, no, to date, they're disappointed I didn't finish my doctorate. I, all of the bio, everything you read, my mom still will tell me unsolicited advice now in my 50s. When are you going back to grad school to get your doctorate? <laughs> Which is amazing to me because I don't I don't know what I need to do uh, to, to have that, you know, put a pin in the, the, the PhD program, mom. Um, but, but it, you know, it, 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 that's how I'm mentality. Capture resources, protect those resources. Oh, uh, you know, uh, at times I had the privilege of leading hundreds of professionals in the tech industry uh, at some at one point, maybe even over a thousand. Um, and then extract as much value as you can from those resources. So capture the resource, protect the resource and extract as much value. That was my silo mindset. I apologize by saying immigrant silo mentality, but I just felt that my experience as an immigrant refugee uh, really shaped my thinking in terms of that. And it was only in my forties when I understood and appreciated the importance of flow, mm. not just not just protecting, but but next time you watch a TED talk and it inspires you, next time you watch Dan talk about his life lessons on cultural leadership, uh, business transformation, share that link with people that you like and respect and trust. When you uh, read something and you have you want to expand on, on on the point of view, write a blog or. or or have a conversation like you and I are having. All of this transformation was just a shift from silo mentality to appreciation of flow, flow of knowledge, um, which leads to connections and leads to meeting these, you know, these random collisions I have on Fridays with extraordinary people uh, like we're doing right now. So sorry, long-winded answer to your question. All of that motivates me to share as much as I can, because I didn't do that in, in, again, the first 40 years of my life. So I've got a lot of catching up to do in terms of, you know, uh, what all good leaders, I suppose, have in common is they, they leave everything and everyone better than when they found them. And I have found my voice on social um, and, uh, and uh, it's, it brings me a lot of joy. Uh, I'm intrinsically motivated. I don't need, there's no Salesforce incentive. There's, you know, I don't have a mentor and sponsor reminding me regularly that I need to do this. It's just, it's just now who I am. And uh, I wish I started earlier. Um, but, you know, I wouldn't change anything. Uh, you know, I, I don't really have a lot of regrets, but, but 
I wish I started sooner. I, I, I think I would have been a better, better person for it. Um, so I got a lot of catching up to do and I'm, I'm trying to do my best now. And, and the positivity part that you referenced. Yeah. In my experience, uh, you know, in the long run, the future is created by the optimist. Um, the people that I gravitate towards, the people that I like and I trust and respect, they tend to have an optimistic view of, of, of life, work, friendships. Um, I try to distance myself myself from negativity, not not ignore it because I don't you know indifference is the enemy to progress. But but I I, I it doesn't bring me joy to um, to 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 uh, uh, to uh, scale negative thoughts or um, or 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 have uh, you know intelli intellectual tug of war. On digital, I mean, you know, as you know, as you and I, when you have a large digital footprint, people are poking at you all the time. Yeah, all the time. I, mean, I have people debating on 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 topics where I have patents. So there are times where I'm like, oh, come on, this is a great time to dunk on this person with with so much that I know. And it, in about five seconds of reflection, I realize that's just there's just no value in doing that. Um, so, so my advice to folks that are trying to, uh, to, 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 to build a trustworthy voice, you know, avoid, 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 uh, avoid dunking on people and just, just share what you believe to be true. And if you're wrong, by the way, doers make mistakes. I've made a ton of mistakes. I don't think you're going to interview anyone that's made more mistakes than I have, including mistakes on social media. Uh, uh, but your, your your last mistake is probably your best teacher. So you just have to you just have to always um, have that beginner's mindset to know that uh, if you do make a mistake, and it's easy to do on social because a lot of it is can be real time. <laughs> uh, you know, you're responding to things or you get pulled into a conversation. Just just be mindful. Um, pretend your mom is list standing next to you as you're typing. There you are. Yeah. That's, that's what you got to do. Ask, asking do. about where's the PhD, son, right? Yeah. It's I, a, that's, that's true, by the way. I'm not joking. Both parents. <laughs> my father. So here's why. My father went to night school to earn his PhD, and it took him six years. Wow. Um, and he completed when he was 66. Good so for my, my dad got his doctorate at 66. So, so you can see the pressure in the actual yeah. household with mom and dad. I, I feel the pressure. I think I need to go do mine now. <laughs> yeah. like, uh, it that was a very humbling and reflective answer. Very introspective, Allah. And so I actually want to ask you another introspective question. We, we are recording this in Q1 of 2023. Ergo, we've had about three years of a pandemic and ways in which the whole world kind of was disrupted to bring in uh, an, uh, a great word that you guys and Ray use. So what have you felt, noticed, recognized, if you will, on how society in particular organizations and our leaders have evolved or devolved in terms of their, their humanity, their compassion? Like, did we did we miss the boat? Have we made strides? Was it really good? And now it's not so good. Like where, where do you sit over the three years of introspection between when the pandemic began and where we are today with our evolution? Another, another deep question. Um, uh, uh, this is why you're, uh, 
five-time amazing book author <laughs> and a thought leader. Um, um, well, you know, I mentioned my own personal blind spot for 40 years, not appreciating the power of flow. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, certainly the business world had a blind spot in terms of in terms of the uh, decentralization. You know, in, in the U.S., March of 2020, 50,000 colleagues of mine at Salesforce received an email that said, you can't come to the office. Go home. Yeah, right. Um, and uh and I think it was March 9th. I, I remember, I think the exact date. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, fortunately for us, uh, you know, the speed of transition to go from in-office or hybrid uh, to, to almost entirely digital um, uh, and work from home, you know, for us, that was about a weekend exercise. So <laughs> I come... Um, you know, because, you know, to achieve optimal speed, you, you need to design for movement. Um, uh, if, 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 you, if you follow uh, elite four by 100 runners, like the first leg of the uh, race at elite level could be a second or so slower because the runner is in a static position. Uh, second, third, and fourth, the runner is in motion when the baton is handed to him. Uh, so uh, we being a digital native company, you know, born in the cloud, uh, mobile, social, everybody had smart devices, regardless of where you worked, meaning a laptop, a tablet, a, a smartphone. We conduct our business on our mobile devices. We're not tethered to a desk. So at least my point of view, being part of Salesforce, because we were designed for movement, because we were not a digital immigrant com company, right. which a lot of companies are, that transition, uh, the COVID impact for us we, 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 I think we, 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 we executed at a much higher velocity, speed and direction um, in order to minimize the impact to our business and our ability to service our customers. And of course, uh, you know, we had record, record business uh, years uh, because uh, this notion of decentralization, digital only, and then perhaps digital first requirements for many businesses, I think, in Canada, from March to June, it was like single-digit work from home to about sixty percent transition mm -hmm. in in months, couple of months. Yeah, um, and uh, and that's that's only about five million of the working population. Uh, so it's not everyone. Um, some folks had to go because they had physical dependency in terms of their jobs, like healthcare healthcare providers. Right, and it wasn't a blue-collar, white-collar uh, impact. Plenty of uh, graduate student doctorate uh, professionals had to go to physically to locations during 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 the pandemic, so it wasn't necessarily an educational divide. And again, designed for movement, Canada is ranked consistently top most educated country in the world. About fifty six thousand fifty six percent of the adults have college degrees, right. uh, and uh, and Canada is more connected digitally than the U.S. Ninety one percent of Canadians are connected connected to internet, only 88% in the US. So most educated, most connected. So again, you and I impact in terms of reflecting on COVID probably was the least amount of struggle mm -hmm. just because we're fortunate in terms of where we are geographic, geographically and, and work and education. Globally, it was uh, incredible variance in terms of hardship. Uh, and, and did we miss the opportunity to reinvent 
how we conduct business. I think I think uh, there's still much learning that needs to go needs to go on. Um, you know, I, I take pride in being a mentor and sponsor, for example, at Salesforce. I mm-hmm. I, I mentor a, a number of individuals at various levels, and I sponsor a few smaller number of folks that I small uh, that I sponsor versus mentoring. Uh, when I was a hiring manager pre-COVID, you know, I would look for uh, the quality of questions in a meeting, the conversations before and after a get-together. For two and a half years, this is how managers and subordinates worked. And then when we were done, we would hit the leave button in Zoom, and there was no opportunity for random collisions mm. before or after. I found that it was difficult for sponsors, active senior leaders in business to find t- talent uh, lower in the organizational hierarchy, perhaps. Uh, typically, you, you know, you're sponsoring folks where you're trying to be allies, provide the, the, the headcount, the, the budget, the, the environment for them to shine and share their points of view to more to the decision makers in business. Those opportunities were very hard. You had to deliberately find ways, unique ways to actively be a mentor and sponsor. So I feel that young workforce leaving college, university, trying to understand career path and perhaps find ways to accelerate their ability to impact the business. That was very difficult the last three Mm -hmm. years. Um, And I don't think businesses did a good job to create an environment or even a workflow and processes to, uh, to fill that void. Um, I, I, and I, and I find that to be true because, you know, now that in the last year or so we're back in the office, when I engage with some of the more junior folks at our company, I find that they're definitely in need of mentoring and sponsorship Uh, and, you know, so, um, and uh, I've been with the company eight years and, and I just feel that there was a disconnect there that, and we need some catching up to do. So I encourage anyone who's listening to us, if you have the privilege of, having influence in your business where you can help fast track um, exceptional teammates uh, who can, uh, and, and, th- and this also speaks to your ability to want to uh, embrace reverse mentoring. It's amazing how often I find myself in a position where I am the one listening and taking notes. Uh, recently it's been in the web three space right. uh, in a distributed ledger, web three, NFT, this whole, uh, incredible uh, uh, emerging space. Um, for a lot of us, it's gonna be generative AI. Uh, uh, the, 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 the knowledge that the digital natives have, gamers, for example. If you've been gaming for the last decade, this, this whole space is very, very familiar to you. I'm not a gamer. So I'm trying to understand the tokenization of the internet, digital assets, yeah. managing, you know, there's, there's so many aspects to it. And so it's 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 beautiful when uh, the the journey begins with me trying to share my wisdom and knowledge, and I find myself now in a 50-50 <laughs> situation <laughs> where half the time I'm taking notes, I'm getting assignments on what to read and what uh, you know what 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 courses online courses I should be taking. So so again, to your question, there's there's uh, there's, there's still a disconnect there, and we're still learning. Uh, the experts of yesterday may no longer be experts of tomorrow. Um, and uh, and this is the power. This is why it's important to have conversations like this, to be active on social media, because you can uh, enhance your contextual understanding of 
how technology impacts work, how work policies impact um, retention, attrition, and ultimately how you can uh, you know compete in, in in whatever sector that you're a part of. Well, the the third and final kind of thread I wanted to get into with you, Vala, was is is kind of this. It's that digital transformation and digitalization, right, of society. It seems like a hollow term to me these days. If we aren't thinking about that humanity, the emotion, the the people factor, if you will. And so I was wondering if you could help us understand what is it that you think we need to be ensuring of as we, not technologically, by the way, but but just by um, managerially and administratively and certainly from a leadership perspective, what we need to be ensuring so that we don't lose our sense of humanity when generative AI and Web3 are becoming far greater than where they even today um, in terms of you know what what it is that we want to uphold from our culture and and the way in which we have our our teams set up and the way we which we collaborate quite frankly a great 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 question uh, in the 20 years that I uh, had the privilege of managing lines of business um, you know I was vice president of engineering and then I was chief customer officer responsible for services Mm. My last last assignment was chief marketing officer, which was an accidental uh, detour. I, I never thought that I would, I would. It was the social media, the book, and podcasting, and right. all, all these things that led to uh, uh, running marketing. You know, I I uh, when I reflect on success of my company growing. One of my prior company was named the fourth best company to work at in Boston out of 1,600 companies uh, in the Boston Globe, the local paper, and the Boston Business Journal. Um, and, you know, in, uh, in the, the, the second 10 years of my career, the company doubled in size, doubled in revenue and headcount, and we had, we had some great success. Um, when I think about, you know, the, the key success factors for us, it, it did start with culture. Culture was first. I don't have a great definition of culture. I, I uh, to me, how I feel on Sunday evenings, um, you know, speaks to the culture of the company. Am I looking forward to Monday? <laughs> uh, you know, that, you know, it's it's you know. So I, I, you know, I I knew we had a good culture if if I was really looking forward to the beginning of the week. I also think culture is what happens when the managers leave the room. Um, in the absence of authority, uh, other people, you know, uh, empowered and celebrated and recognized for doing the right thing at the right time for the right reasons for the right people in the absence of authority. I think, uh, you know, if you play sports, you know, coach is important, but when you have that chemistry, you know, that team culture, of, of caring for each other. You know, you're not a team because you work together. You're a team because you trust and you respect and yeah. you like each other. Um, that's when you win. Um, so, and, 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 and then when I say like intrinsically motivated, you know, again, in the absence of sticks and carrots, are you, are you, do you feel like you have a sense of belonging, mattering and purpose? So culture was first people. I always felt was second. Um, uh, you know, I just, I, 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 I felt really, uh, I felt the most important job of a manager was recruiting and retaining the team um, and constantly recruiting. Always have that virtual bench. 
so whether regardless of the budgetary constraints, I always found myself when I was, again, had the privilege of managing people, I was always recruiting. Um, whether I could bring someone on board or not. And then when I worked for really winning teams, we didn't look at budget. If we found an extraordinary talented individual, we would bring him in and figure out a way. Oh, yeah. uh, Salesforce is like that. Yeah. Salesforce didn't have a job opening for chief digital evangelist. <laughs> it, it was it was really uh, private discussions on direct message Twitter. Believe it or not, ninety percent of my interview with Salesforce seven and a half years ago was private messages on Twitter. I love it. Uh, it's, it's it's amazing, and I didn't have a CV. Um, uh, I was with my prior company for 19 and a half years. Yeah. And I, I, so I didn't, I, and I never maintained and I never updated. Including didn't need my it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, so again, uh, my advice for anyone that's listening, uh, who's thinking about, you know, when, you know, uh, to win on social media, you have to win off social media. Hmm. Uh, you know, so, you and I, we, we write books, we winning, uh, we write blogs, we have podcasts, uh, you know, we, we, we coach and, and advise business leaders. All of that is winning off of social media. Yeah. And that gives you uh, the privilege to share uh, your thoughts, your successes, your mistakes on social media. So, you know, and by the way, when you read an article, uh, an HBR article, Fast Company, if you follow the thinkers, 50 folks like yourself, uh, <laughs> when you listen to a TEDx talk, that's winning. You spend 15 minutes learning. Um, now, all you got to do is just take a tiny step and share. So you got to win off social in order to win on social. And, and so when you look for people who are constantly demonstrating that they're winning, they're active members of communities, they're writing they're, they're podcasting. Those are the folks that I like to invite to be part of my team. So culture, people, process, I think is important. I've worked for great companies with great technologies, but had heavy processes and we weren't able to, you know, hit the mark in terms of gaining market share. I've worked for companies that had, you know, poor processes. So in the spirit of agile and sprints, we didn't do the due diligence to deliver quality products to market. So there's a balance there in terms of defining the right process to ensure you're not sacrificing quality and, and, and delivering meaningful value to, to help your stakeholders. And then, and then, you know, lastly, technology. So, you know, it's culture, people, process, and technology to me. And somewhere in there between uh, probably uh, talent and process and strategy. But those are the four or five ingredients yeah. in that order. And I'm a technologist. So for me to put technology last, uh, it's because I, I recognize the, all, the underpinnings, the pillars that are necessary that, that, that need to be there in order in order for for, for us to, to 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 win us as individuals, as organizations, as 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 companies. So as much as I'm excited about these emerging technologies, uh, without the proper culture, talent, processes, uh, and a strategy that has holistic success in mind. Again, I'm now. I, I am now very mindful when I see silo processes, silo mentalities. You know, when I speak to CIOs and I realize how the tech stack is so disconnected and they don't have integrated applications. For me, silo, it, it's not just mindset. It's how we design companies, how we design and implement technologies. And I think silos kill. They kill careers, they kill companies. 
Um, I feel Salesforce, my company, is one of the best flow optimized company. And there, I can list a number of reasons why I think that. But uh, when I when I now have a privilege of engaging with business leaders, senior business leaders, before we even go, before we have any discussion about a particular technology or functionality uh, or service, uh, I try to study uh, the organizational makeup of the people process technology and immediately uh, try to help recognize the opportunities where we can silo bust. Uh, and, and a lot of technology can allow us to do that, uh, but it's not a technology discussion. It's if, if you don't have that right culture, that the right mindset, that right sense of appreciation of what, what finish could look like. Um, and all of this, and you use digitization, digital transformation, yeah, these big words. And you ask 10 different people, you get 10 different <laughs> definitions. I don't have a good definition. I, I fundamentally, I think it's all about data. And, and, yeah. and you know, it's, it's making more informed decisions faster. Companies that can deliver um, the shortest amount of time to value are the ones that are going to win. Um, and when you think about flow optimizations, ultimately, that's just removing friction. If you can deliberately remove friction along how you conduct business internally to your internal customers and then certainly externally to your paying customers, uh, uh, I just feel there's really no room for friction in, in, in business and no room in friction in terms of how you manage individuals. Um, and it starts with collaboration and sharing, and and it really starts with just four words. You know, what do you think? How often do managers proactively go to their teammates and simply ask, "What do you think? What do you think about this work policy of coming back to the office? What do you think about the merit increase? What do you think about how we should promote? What do you think about what's missing in our products and services?" I found that the best managers that I ever had the privilege of working for proactively solicited my input. Doesn't mean that they listen to it all the time. Doesn't mean that I we didn't disagree, but just the privilege of being able to share my point of view, that just felt so good, you know? Wow. Uh, so what do you think? Just four words could, could be magical in terms of getting people committed to doing big, bold things. Well, I know what I think. You are a gentleman and a scholar, a leader in the flow, Vala. I have one bonus question. You've got one minute. Tell us a bit about Boundless, the, the book that's uh, under wraps, but just a little sneak peek maybe. What do you got up uh, in store for us? You've done a great job of research because uh, I haven't officially announced it, but that's, <laughs> that is a book that, that should come out in the middle of the year. Um, I just submitted uh, 70,000 words to Wiley. And I think, I think I'm committed to only 65. So we're in the process of just, uh, you know. Uh, I know what it's like. I know yeah, what it's like. <laughs> Time the book. Uh, um, you know, it's, it's uh, so uh, researching companies that have experienced hyper growth in various sectors uh, over the last four years or so, I've identified seven principles of flow optimization. Um, so to, to achieve boundless opportunity as an individual, as an organization, as a company, I believe there are seven principles, seven elements, uh, including elements like connections, distribution, integration, autonomy, mobility, holistic success. There are seven of them. So the book, the book speaks to specific companies, specific individuals that have applied these principles. And the outcome seems to be that they... They outperform uh, their peers, so that's 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 what the book is about. Uh, I mean, you know, it, it, I think it's a it's an 
I, I believe it's a leadership mindset book, but there's a lot of business elements to it as well because I use uh, uh, organizational design uh, examples to 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 highlight these principles. So it's a it's a mix of both, and uh, hopefully people will find some some you know interesting takeaways from my uh, my the opportunity I have at Salesforce working with the fastest most successful companies in various sectors. Um, so love it. Well, I can't wait. I pre-ordered it already. I found a way in which to do that. So <laughs> Bala, uh, this has been a wonderful, uh, conversation. I can't wait to do the next one with you. Where can we find out more about, uh, the great Vala offshore? Uh, Vala offshore on, on Twitter and, and, and LinkedIn. And, uh, thank you so much for referencing the podcast. And, uh, I hope you consider coming back to share, um, your fifth book. Man, I'm just trying to catch up. I'm, uh, you know, I'm just, you're, my, you're my North Star. I'm just trying to follow your steps. Well, so, it, uh, I'm a masochist and it keeps me married. That's why I keep doing it. <laughs> Listen, my friend, thank you so much. Again, I can't wait for the next one. Everyone, uh, the great Vala Offshar on another episode of Leadership Now with me, Dan Pontefract. Look forward to the next one soon. Thanks, Vala. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Dan.